The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, have you ever wondered, when does a boy become a man? In the Maasai culture, a boy becomes a man at the age of 14, when he kills his first lion. In the Aussie culture, a boy becomes a man at the age of 18, when he buys his first beer. In the Chinese culture, a boy never becomes a man. In the Chinese culture, in your parents' eyes, you'll always be a boy. And so as a Chinese boy, at the age of 14, you're in high school, you'll ask your parents, please can I get a girlfriend? And your parents will say, no, wait till you finish high school. So you finish high school and you say to your parents, please can I get a girlfriend now? And they'll say, no, wait till you finish uni. So you finish uni and you say, please can I get a girlfriend? And your parents will say, no, wait till you get a job. So you get a job and you say to your parents, please can I get a girlfriend now? And they say, no, wait till you've saved up for a house. So you save up for a house and then what happens? Your parents will come to you and say, why aren't you married yet? What's wrong with you? Why can't you get a girlfriend? Stop being so selfish. Get us some grandchildren. See, in the end, your Chinese parents just want you to be happy. They want you to meet someone, to fall in love, and that's something all cultures believe. If we can find love, then we're going to find happiness. Well, welcome to our forum, and we're kicking off this year with a series of talks in February called The Four Keys to Happiness. Last week was key number one, where we looked at success. Today is key number two, love. Next week is key number three, freedom. And finally, in week four, will be key number four, how to be true to yourself. And what we're going to do each week is, is to look at these topics and to say, see what the Bible has to say about them. And I'll give a 20-minute talk, and afterwards we'll have a time for 10 minutes of, of question and answer. Today's key to happiness is love. And we can define love as a relationship between two persons where there's attraction, affection, and commitment. And here we're talking about romantic love. And we've just heard a story from the Bible where Jesus meets a woman who has struggled to find love. We hear she's had five husbands, and now she's living with a man who she's not married to. And to our modern, conservative, Western ears, we hear, oh, here's a woman who's been serially unfaithful. But to non-Western, traditional ears, we would hear that here's a woman who's had five husbands who have all rejected her. And now her present man won't even do her the honour or the dignity by committing to marrying her. And because of that, this woman is shamed. She's shunned by her community. She has to come to the world away from the crowds because she's been shamed. Love once promised her happiness, but that was a long time ago. Instead, now love has brought her loneliness, emptiness and shame. Today's talk is on love. And there are three parts to today's talk. In the first part, I'm going to look at what, what is love. In the middle part of the talk, we'll look at what are the problems with love. And in the final part of the talk, well, what might the Bible say about love? What is love? 
problems with love and what the Bible might say about love. So let's begin with the first part of the talk. What is love? And here I've got two things to say. What is love? Two things. And the first thing is this. Love is like rugby. Now, when my wife Steph and I were dating, she would come and watch me play rugby. But she didn't understand rugby. And so at work, her, her friends would ask her, well, what position does he play? And she would say, I don't know. And they'll ask her, well, what number is on his back? And she'd say, I don't know. They'll ask her, is he a forward or is he a back? And she'd say, I don't know. My poor wife didn't understand anything about rugby. Now, one day we were watching TV and an AFL game came on. And I said to my wife, Seth, this is AFL. See, they punch the ball instead of passing it. They kick the ball between posts and they get six points. And her eyes opened wide and the lights came on. She said, oh, this is the game you play. And I went, no, it's not the game I play. And the lights came on for me. She was never going to understand rugby. And so for those of us out here who need a rugby lesson, here's a very, very basic rugby lesson. Rugby is multi-dimensional. multi-dimensional. There are many dimensions to the game of rugby. There's a running game in rugby. There's a kicking game in rugby. And then the best part, the scrummaging game. The scrums in rugby. There's three dimensions at least in rugby. Rugby is multi-dimensional. And love is like rugby because love is multi-dimensional. When it comes to love, psychologists talk about three dimensions to love. Three dimensions. There is what's called passion, which the Greeks called eros. Passion. And here we're talking about sexual attraction, desire. Passion. And then there's the dimension of intimacy, what the Greeks called philia. Intimacy, where we trust each other. We hang out. We share our lives together. And finally, there's commitment. What the Greeks called pragma. Commitment. And this is where there's the understanding, well, this relationship is meant to be permanent. So there's passion, intimacy, and, com- and commitment. And we need all three for love to work. If we only have passion, well, this is infatuation. If we only have intimacy, well, this is a friendship. It's like the friend zone. We only have commitment. Well, now that's pretty cold and empty. We need all three. Passion, intimacy and commitment. But why do we need love? Why do we look for love? Well, psychologists say love fulfills two basic, basic human needs. It fulfills the need to be loved by someone and it fulfills the need to love someone. So there we have it. We have a basic need for food, yes. A basic need for shelter, yes, but we also have a basic need for love. To be loved by someone and to love someone. In a commitment where there's three dimensions, intimacy, passion and commitment. So that's number one. Love is like rugby. Number two, what is love? Number two, love promises us the happy ending. Now last year I preached at a wedding for some friends called Heidi and Carrie. And I asked Hyde and Kerry, what do you like doing when you're together? And they said, we love watching movies together. And Kerry said he loves action movies, where there's a big alpha male, there's guns, explosions and car chases. But then Heidi says she hates action movies. She tries to watch them, but they make her physically ill. And so she likes romance movies. 
And Carrie watches the romance movies with her, and so far they've watched The Proposal, they watched The Holiday, they watched Anne of Green Gables, and I asked Carrie, well, what's it like? And he says, it's terrible, because they're exactly the same, they have the same plot. And that's because romantic movies do have the same plot. Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, didn't see that coming, boy gets girl at the end. And they live together happily ever after. And this is what love promises us. It promises us the happy ending. It's the Cinderella story, really in disguise. The prince and the princess, they meet, they fall in love, and they live together happily ever after. That's what love promises us. Happiness and forever after. And not just us, it's not just us who will be happy. If we can fall in love and stay in love, we will produce a stable nuclear family which produces relational units for society, which produces a stable functional society. And this is a very Asian confusion way of thinking. It's also a very Aussie way of thinking. That's why we get married, the Australian government will give us a $200 voucher for marriage counselling. It will cost us, the taxpayer, $20 million a year but we think it's worth it because if couples can stay in love, Australia will be happy. So what is love? It promises us a happy ending, not just for us, but for Asia and for Australia. So that's the first part of the talk. What is love? Two things. One, it's multi-dimensional and it fulfills a basic human need for love. And number two, it promises us a happy ending. Let's come to the middle part of the talk now. Well, what might be some problems with love? And here I've got two things to say. What might be some problems with love? Two things. Number one. Number one, love is like a pair of jeans. Love is like a pair of jeans. Just like jeans will fade with time, love also fades with time. Researchers tracked 1,500 married couples in Europe and America, and this is what they found. After you get married, there's a big boost in happiness, but this only lasts for two years. And then the passion fades. Because we humans have what psychologists call hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation. We become immune to whatever gives us happiness. So when something is new, it gives us happiness. Like new shoes, new car, a new surfboard, but after a while, after one or two years, the happiness fades. And it's the same with someone we love. When we meet that person, there's an initial burst of excitement and sexual passion. But after one or two years, the excitement and the passion fade because of hedonic adaptation. And when that happens, many of us will feel trapped in a relationship where there's no spark, no excitement, and no happiness. So that's the first problem with love. It's like a pair of jeans. It actually fades with time. The second problem with love is this. Number two, love is like chocolate. Last year, Samira Kawash, an author, wrote in the New York Times an article called Sex and Candy. And she argued that there's a strong link between chocolate and sexual pleasures. There's a physical link, and there's also a metaphorical link, isn't there? Chocolate is a great metaphor for love. It's sweet, it's smooth, it's sensual. But chocolate is also bad for you. 
It makes you put on weight. It gives you diabetes. It rots your teeth. There's a destructive side to chocolate and there's a destructive side to love. And that's because in love, several things will happen. In love, we idolise the other person. That's why we fall in love with them and not someone else. They have a quality we idolise. And the other person idolises us. That's why they fall in love with us and not someone else. We have a quality they idolise. And we idolise love itself. Love gives us what we're looking for. It might give us great sex. It might give us status. No more being single now. I've got the trophy partner. And it gives us companionship. No more Friday nights alone. Here's a warm body I can lie next to. But this can end up becoming destructive because the other person cannot live up to the demands that we put on them. And we ourselves can't live up to the demands that we put on ourselves. And love can't live up to the demands that we put on it. And so the sex loses its excitement, the warmth isn't there, and the conversation soon gets tired. And so we blame the other person. Oh, if only she was more good-looking, more understanding. We blame ourselves. If only I was more successful, more exciting. And we blame love itself. If only I had married someone else. See, we want the fairy tale romance, the prince and the princess and the happy ever after. But in real life, the fairy tale romance between Prince Charles and Princess Di, that also didn't work out. It ended in cheating, bulimia and divorce. It didn't give them the happy ending. See, love can be destructive. We end up hurting the other person and we end up being hurt as well. So we've looked at what is love. We've just looked at the problems with love. We've heard two things. One, it might not last. And two, it might be quite destructive. So let's come to the final part of the talk then. What might the Bible say about love? What might the Bible say about love? And here I've got two things to say. Two things. So we go back to the story. The first thing we can say is this. We need to be loved by Jesus. We need to be loved by Jesus. In the story, in verse 13, it said this. Jesus said this to the woman. Hey, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what Jesus is doing here is he's using picture language to say, hey, you and I have a thirst for God. And Jesus says, I will fill your thirst for God. You and I have a basic, basic need for God's love. And Jesus says, I will fill your basic need for God's love. Now, a few years ago, I ran in the Sydney Marathon. And at one stage in the marathon, I was coming last. So far last, there was no one else around me. I was so last, a race official came up to me on his motorbike and he said, are you running in the marathon? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm running in the marathon. And then I asked him, am I coming last? He said, you are last. You are dead last. There's no one in front of you for 10 minutes. That's how last I was. I was but that was all right. That was part of my race plan. I thought if I come last, no one can pass me. And I would just do all the passing. But there was no one around me. And I was so last that when I got to the drink stations, they had run out of water. I wasn't getting any water. So this is how I finished the marathon. <laughs> Unconscious, in a medical tent, 
and they had to run water through that bag into my, my veins to revive me. See, you and I have a basic need for water. And what Jesus says is this, just like we have a basic need for water, we also have a basic need for God's love. Without water, we'll die. And without God's love, we also will die. Jesus says we have a basic need for God's love. We are lonely for God. And we can try to fill this basic need for God's love with other things, money, a job, and even marriage. But if we try to make marriage fill our need for God's love, we'll end up asking too much from the other person and we'll destroy the other person. We'll end up asking too much from the marriage and destroy the marriage. But if we find Jesus, he will fill our thirst for God. And then we don't go elsewhere trying to fill that thirst. And now, in a relationship, we can enjoy the other person just for who they are. And we can enjoy the relationship just for what it is. Because we're not asking that person to be God. We're not asking that person to fill our need for God. We're not asking them to do what only Jesus can do. So how can we find love and be happy? Well, the first thing is this. We need to find Jesus and be loved by Jesus so he fills our basic need for God's love. And now we can enjoy the other person just for who they are without asking them to fill our basic need for God's love. That was number two. Or one. Number two, we need to love Jesus. Just as we need Jesus to love us, number two, we also need to love Jesus. Let's go to verse 25. Verse 25. The woman finally says to Jesus, Hey, I know the Messiah, the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us about worship and about God. And then Jesus declared, Well, guess what? I, I, the one speaking, I'm that guy. Worship me. Love me. A few years ago, I bought myself a bike. And if you buy a proper bike, they have clips on the pedals. And so you're clipped into the bike and your shoes are clipped in the pedal. That's fine when you're pedaling and you're moving forward. But when you stop on one of these things, you have to remember to unclip your shoe. And that's a real problem because every time I came to a stop sign, I couldn't unclip my shoe in time. And this would happen. I always end up upside down with both wheels in the air, which is really embarrassing when the cars stop. And they say, hey, are you all right? I say, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Just move on, move on. It's all right. Just trying to get my shoe out. That's all right. And that's the thing with the bike. Great when it's moving forward. But when you stop, you fall over. And love is the same. Love needs to be moving forward. Psychologists say we want a relationship to last. We need purpose. We need direction. Woody Allen says a relationship is like a shark. It always needs to be moving forward, otherwise it dies. Psychologists say when the passion fades, we need to replace it with intimacy. And the intimacy needs to be combined with commitment. But commitment to what? And psychologists say it can't be just a commitment to each other. It needs to be a commitment to a higher cause, a transcendent purpose, a mission, a direction. And that's why marriages can often stay together when you're raising children. Because that's your mission. We're raising children and we're staying together for the kids. But when the kids grow up and move out, that's often when marriages fall apart. Because we've lost the transcendent mission, the purpose, the direction. We've lost the kids. And so what that means is if we want a committed relationship, we can't just be committed to each other. We need a higher purpose, a transcendent cause, 
a mission, a direction. But where do we find this purpose? Well, Jesus says, find it in me. Your mission is now me, to help each other love Jesus. So as a couple, our transcendent purpose now is to help each other love Jesus, help each other be loved by Jesus, and to worship and serve Jesus together. So that's the second thing the Bible says about love. Not only do we need to be loved by Jesus, but love Jesus. And that gives us the commitment, the cause, the transcendent purpose. So what have we said about love today? Well, we've looked at what is love. It's multidimensional. It fulfills a basic need for love. And it promises us a happy ending. We've looked at problems with love. Well, love might not last. It might fade. And also there's a destructive side to love. And finally, we've looked at what the Bible might say about love. And we looked at the story of Jesus and the woman. And here we've learned, one, we need to love Jesus. And two, we need to be loved by Jesus. So what is the happy ever after that we're looking for? My wife, my wife Steph, and I, we love watching movies together. And one of our favourite movies is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And this ticks all the boxes. It's action and it's romance. And my wife loves telling me she might be a secret agent in disguise. So watch out. And I love that because men love danger. And I love just thinking that my wife could be a dangerous woman. But this woman, the, this, this movie, actually makes me feel very inadequate. Because I'm no Brad Pitt. I'm short, I'm boring, I can't get the stubble thing happening. So how can I keep my wife Steph excited about me? Well, what's interesting, in this movie, even Mr. and Mrs. Smith got bored with each other. And what brings them back together is an adventure. An adventure brings them back together. And if we find Jesus, we will have an adventure. And now our partner doesn't have to be the adventure. Jesus becomes the adventure. He will be the adventure that brings me and my partner together. And because Jesus feels our need for love, now we have enough love to love the other person just for who they are. See, love promises us a happy ending and Jesus promises us the love that will give us that happy ending. All right, the first important question was, Sam, who took the pictures of you when you were passed out at the marathon? Does that person really love you for taking those pictures? <laughs> uh, the question is, who took those pictures of me uh, when I was passed out in the marathon? Does that person love me? Uh, it was my cousin-in-law, and I actually had him to thank for my life. Otherwise, I, I would have been passed out in the botanical garden. So without him, we wouldn't have had ambulance help at all. So I'm alive. Every day I have right now is a bonus. It's a day I should not have had. So thank you. There you go. Perfect. Okay, the next one that came in, because um, especially based on the topic of love, this was written from a, a man's perspective. It says oh, yeah. right, off the, right off the bat, I'm a bloke. And he goes, you talked about love and intimacy and passion. It feels strange to love Jesus in that way. Right. So what does that mean? Wow. Okay, so as a bloke, you talk about love, intimacy, passion. Uh, it feels strange to talk about Jesus that way. Yeah. Wow, well, yeah, yeah. So, okay, what's really, really interesting is the Bible has many metaphors to try to explain what our relationship with Jesus is like. And its favourite metaphor is the love, romance, wedding metaphor. So who would have thought? And there's an amazing verse in a book called Ephesians that says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. 
So that's the sex act. And when he says, wow, okay, he's talking about a man, a woman, a husband, wife, blah, blah, blah. He says, oh, actually, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so somehow it's not like, um, oh, his example, Jesus, we should follow it. It's more like we become the example of what it is for Jesus to love us and, and, and the church. So there's something obviously like what we do, something unlike what we do, but we just have to get used to this language that somehow there's passion, there's excitement, there's intimacy and the commitment. And what we do is just a shadow, a model of what it's like in real life. I remember as, as a little boy, I used to try to make models, model planes, and it was just a disaster. You know, the glue would stick everywhere, it'd be on your fingers, and the pieces would fall apart, the stickers wouldn't go on. You guys all look at me blankly. None of you have done this. Hey? This is the most <laughs> nerdy, geeky thing you do, try to build a model plane. So you know with this plane is about this big, and it's all right, you paint it, and it looks all right. And then one day, this is in the old days, where you walk on the tarmac of an airport, and yet get onto the jumbo 747 by walking up the steps. So you walk in this tarmac, in front of you is a 747 four-engine beast. And if you had put out your model then, and look at it, oh my goodness, the real thing looks nothing like the model. And somehow Jesus is saying, you know, the love we have between each other, the sex, the romance, the intimacy, the passion, the excitement, that's this thing. The real thing, us and Jesus, is, will just blow your mind away. Well, actually, I think that this next question is almost kind of like a, uh, mm-hmm. kind of on from that. Sure. Because it's actually coming from the perspective of someone who's single. Yes. You know, and seeing that somebody, as a single person, because you kind of talked about the fact that it seems to me that the love of Jesus does not have the dimension of Eros. As a single person, how should I deal with that felt need with this dimension of love? Right, right. So the question was, uh, as a single person, right. so can you line my line out of the as a single person, it seems to me that the love of Jesus does not have the dimension of eros. As a single person, it seems to me that, that the love, I guess, I have for Jesus, his love for me, doesn't have that dimension of eros. So, mm-hmm. as, a, so as a single person, how should I deal with my felt need for this dimension of love? So as a single person, how should I deal with this um, felt need, the eros love? Because like, right. I'm not getting it through my basic right. relationship with Jesus. Wow, okay, good question. Okay, so how could I answer that? Uh, so first of all, first of all, well, okay, where were we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so obviously, we're, we're not getting, okay, let me do it this way instead. Okay, so I'll, I went there with a different group. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We all learned it at uni, all right? The most basic need is uh, food, shelter, and warmth, okay? Safety, okay? After that is belonging and love. Belonging and love. And after that is esteem and fulfillment, alright? And so what I guess I'm arguing for in this talk is Jesus fills our need for belonging and love at its most deep sense. And now we can look for belonging and love in our human relationship, but not overload it with the requirements that Jesus that we can only find in our belonging and love with Jesus. Now the question is but hang on, but there's no eros component. And I guess what I'm trying to say was okay, there's no eros component, but Jesus gives us given us what the Eros component is only pointing towards. It's like he's fast-tracked us to whatever the Eros thing is imaging. So I've got that basic need fulfilled. But I still obviously still have a longing for the Eros need in human relationship, and it's okay, that's a God-given desire, and keep looking for that. Uh, but understand that he's only imaging something else. Now, a quick thing then, well, what about single people? What should we do about single people? Uh, so, a few things. Number one, 
I argue that we have a transcendent mission, a call to love Jesus and be loved by Jesus. And we can even say to bring his kingdom here, uh, his, his mission of justice, his mission of mercy, his mission of blessing. We have that adventure, we have that purpose. So that's something that both single and married people have. So we're united by that mission. We actually have the same adventure, the same mission, which is doing different ways, either as a, as a couple or by myself. So we have we haven't missed out on mission as a single person. The second thing is, interestingly, Jesus and Paul were both single, and so somehow they were just as complete. So Jesus is the complete human, even though he's single. So he's not incomplete as a single person. Paul, whether we want to believe him or not, says it's actually better to be single. Because now I can commit myself to this purpose even more. He says, you know, the single person can devote himself fully to the work of the Lord, but the married person cannot, now that they devote themselves to their spouse. So if we really want this transcendent mission, it's actually better achieved as a single person. And finally, it says, in heaven there will be no marriage. And I, I go, I don't know what that means. But it seems to be, there'll be a different reality when, when, when we're in heaven. And I think it goes back to this. Right now, what we have on earth is just that model, but there's a greater reality. And when we get that greater reality, we, we won't feel like we missed out back here. So now I've got, I've got fast track to whatever this thing was. And can I add something? It's almost like when I was in the okay, 80s and 90s, at, at, like, computer, personal computers are coming out, and the operating system was DOS. And I've lost 90% of the room here. Okay. <laughs> and I felt, I didn't have a personal computer, and I felt like I was missing out on something. I don't have DOS, I don't have DOS, all my friends have DOS, I won't know how to work a computer, I'll be poor now, I'll be illiterate, I don't have DOS. And then Windows came out, and then you didn't need DOS, there was a new operating system, and it's a bit like right now on Earth, and that's been replaced by the Mac operating system and Android and all that, okay. But somehow what we have right now on Earth is an operating system, but in heaven there'll be a new operating system that will just make what we have here obsolete. And then in heaven we're not going to oh, I missed out on DOS, or I missed out on marriage. No, no, there'll be a greater reality, a greater operating system when we get there. Yes? Yeah, thanks for reading from Dan. Uh, do we need God's love? Or do we need the salvation from God's wrath that Jesus has made available for us? So that, oh, okay. Uh, you mentioned a lot about love, but mm. so do we need God's love, or do we also need salvation from God's wrath? Yes. 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 Okay. Well, there are multi multiple components for understanding uh, what salvation is. So yes, Jesus has saved us. So what has he saved us from, but what has he saved us to? And so that's a good way. So I guess I've been emphasising a lot of what he saved us to. This person wants me to emphasise a bit more on what he saved us from, judgment. But there's also different ways of understanding judgment. So, so you know, in the parable of the wedding banquet, what is the punishment for not going to the wedding banquet? So, you know, the, the rich man, the king, invites people to come to the wedding. Many people say, no, I don't want to come. What is their punishment? On the one hand, they just missed out, all right? They're at home with their cow and their field, okay? They missed out on a wedding banquet. So it's, it's a loss, a privation of good. On the other hand, you could say they, they have violated honour. They've actually broken some honour code here. They've transgressed, and so they need to be punished. In one of the tellings, they actually get punished uh, and put in jail. And, and, and I was going to say a third component, but I can't remember what it is. But you can see that there's even multiple components to what we're saved from. Are we saved from wrath, judgment, or are we just saved from missing out? There's a privation of good we might be missing out on. 
Yeah, Western culture is very individualistic mm. in its mindset. How does that filter our view on love? Wow, Western culture is very individualistic. How does that filter our view on yeah. love? Yes, yes, well, well, I guess the question's answered its own, itself, hasn't it? So we have a very individualistic way of understanding love, uh, but in other societies, love is much more collective and more people involved. And you see that in a way we date, don't we? Like, like it's one-on-one, boy meets girl, girl meets boy. They, 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 they go through a whole job interview process. What are your hobbies? What are your hobbies? What do you do? What do you do? Yeah, I, I think this will work. I think this will work. Uh, yeah, uh, come on board and we'll become, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe partner, partner one day. But what we forget in the West is you're bringing in collective families in here. Now you've got in-laws, your in-laws getting on with my in-laws. We're not thinking this. So as you know, in non-Western culture, we have arranged marriages. And I remember working with one of my nurses, she had arranged marriages. Who could cope with an arranged marriage? And I said, well, how old are your boys? They're 18 and 20. Wouldn't you love it if you could arrange who they marry? She goes, yeah, that would be good. And wouldn't it be good if you could all work out who your in-laws are going to be? She goes, yeah, the son she has a great fan of arranged marriages. <laughs> There's more to love and relationships than just the two people. Yes. Hey, well, you, you have a couple of Yeah, a couple more. Um, is there physical love and spiritual love? You kind of addressed a little bit mm. about distinction, which would be clarified. Wow, is there physical love and is there spiritual love? Well, yes, there's, there's both. And Oh, boy, this, this could launch me a 20, 30-minute talk. But the Bible is very committed to the fact that we're both soul or spirit, and the, the words are interchangeable in the Bible, soul or spirit or body. And I remember Tim Keller giving a great talk about this. He says, in the non-Christian world, we think we're only body. There's no soul, there's no spirit. So love only has to be physical, only needs a physical dimension. Uh, and then in some Christian traditions we think, oh the body doesn't matter you know, I'm beyond that, I'm too holy for, to worry about the body, it's really just that spirit and soul, so we have this very ascetic view of love and marriage and Paul has to counter that in the book of 1 Corinthians he says, no, no, sex is important, that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 7 you better have sex with your partner you know, physical needs are important You, the body is important so for, for us, it's, it's a both end the body and the soul are involved in, in a love, romance, relationship. And, and Tim Keller, and I hope this doesn't get too steamy and R-rated, so even at the act of sex isn't just a bodily experience, it's a spiritual soul experience. And that is, for, that is the reason why this funny phenomenon happens. Sex actually gets better the older you get. Because when you're young, it's all hormones, it's all body, but as you get older, it becomes more soul, more spirit, more tender, more about giving, more about serving, more about trying to connect at the soul, spiritual level, and you're more in tune with your partner's needs than you were when you're 18, and it's all passions and hormones and body. There you go. We're gonna, we're probably to be the last question. Sorry, there's quite a few, but um, if you have any other questions, you definitely can come up and talk to Sam sure. afterwards. Just about your marriage relationships. My wife time. would be amazed if people, anyone's even asking me for <laughs> advice on love. She'd be up the back heckling. Garbage, garbage. <laughs> uh, this person, I don't know if they were at the, this morning session, but mm-hmm. it's a very similar question. Um, how is following Jesus, as you said, an adventure? Especially because church seems to be so boring. Yes, yes, I remember that. I don't know, how is following Jesus an adventure when church is so boring? 
boring. And I said, amen to that. And I, and I, and I shared this morning. I have an American friend, and she says she, her experience with Australian Christians is every time she goes to an Aussie Christian, and she says, can I go to your church? They go, no, don't go to my church. Go to someone else's church. You wouldn't wish your own church on your worst enemy because our own church is so boring, and we think it's the worst representation of Christianity out there. So two-part answer. One, yes, Christianity is an adventure. It's the wildest ride you'll ever have. Uh, you get to love Jesus, you get to be loved by Jesus, and you get to work with him to bring his kingdom here on earth. That's the wildest venture you ever have. So why is church so boring? I think it's even Christians forget is an adventure. They start thinking about tradition and ritual. And, and even like marriage becomes tradition and ritual. What are you doing tonight? Well, let's, pay, let's go through the credit card statements tonight. Hey, that's what we're doing. And, and even church community come like that. Hey, let's, let's go through the balance books and see if we can pay off the property. And we forget, no, no, we're on an adventure. We're on an adventure together. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.